Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octonom Verba, we hear part two of my interview with Lauren Johnson, an athlete turned mental conditioning coach and former mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees. She is highly motivated and relatable with the passion for developing the minds of the elite. In part one, we discussed how coaches help you find your blind spots when facing adversity, how to avoid complacency, and why failure is often the greatest preparation for future success. You can hear part one on episode 58 of Octonom Verba, and now part two of my interview with the incredible Lauren Johnson. And again, in these arenas, we see people that are unhealthy about it. We see people that are driven by anxiety or trying to overtrain instead of facing the hardship that could easily unpack that for them. But to the average person who may not be willing to push, that's why it's hard for them to even wrap their mind around the idea of willfully loving what you do, willfully making incredible content the way that you do, even on the days when you don't feel like it. Because what do we do? We put out a schedule and say, hey, guess what? I had to create content on Wednesday. I have to have this for this. I have to be ready for this. And that one piece of content may be the thing that changes somebody's life, that saves somebody's life, that somebody shares with somebody else that can truly change them. And with this place where we occupy our profession, it's almost like advertising. We've heard that it takes 8 to 12 exposures to something, whether it be a touch, a commercial, an email, an advertisement online, before a person actually gets it. So many times what you're creating, your content, may be that last one that they needed to go, oh, I get it. I've heard that before, but the way that she said it was so powerful. And as you were saying too, the frontal lobe and everything is logistic. But if we can get beyond that, just like when you talk to that player who was in that downward spiral of negative cascades of emotions, when you ask them something that was emotional, that allowed them to get beyond that cognition as it continued to permeate out. Now it makes sense. And again, that's what makes you the top percent of what you are. So thank you. Well, thank you. I know I still have a very long way to go. I always say that the goal is never to finish the climb, but to master the one directly in front of you. All the while knowing when you get to the top of that mountain, it's only going to reveal more. And so I am just focused on mastering the climb that I'm on, all the while knowing, man, I've got so many more mountains to climb, that's for sure. In the military at 10th Mountain, we would climb. That's what we were known for and rucking with heavy weights for whatever reason. But if you look at the top of the mountain at the very bottom, it's overwhelming. But like you said, it's about that handhold, that placement, moving, bringing everything up and just focusing on that process. I think so many people focus on the destination and they don't understand how important the journey is. It's not that it's just like this philosophical notion, but literally the journey forces you to face micro adversities, these smaller ones, so that you can become stronger, so that you can develop the skill set requisite to actually be worthy of reaching whatever this goal is that you have because so many people, they have this huge goal, but subconsciously they may not believe it or they don't see how they're going to be able to get there. And so they don't even really commit to it. 
of what we're talking about. It's something where it's like, listen, this is a big goal. I get it. But for people at your level, the people that we work with, we find that they want that. They want something that makes them go all in, that makes them level up, that makes them push. I did David Goggins four by four by 48 challenge this year in March, the four miles every four hours for 48 hours. And even for me, that made me click up and say, wow, I've been holding back. And now that I apply that to my clientele and that forces me to be very aware. It was great that you did something great yesterday, Marcus. What have you done today? What are you preparing to do tomorrow? What are you willing to do? Like you were saying, when you may not feel like doing it. And that's what separates, like you said, the good from the great and the great from the true excellence. Well, and it reminds me of the Bruce Lee quote that consistency always trumps intensity. And what consistency means, I think a lot of people mistake consistency for perfection, myself being one of them. Early on playing soccer in college, I thought I had to be perfect. And I tied my worthiness to it. And something I've learned is that if you tie your worthiness to your outcomes, your worthiness will always be temporary. So when I was playing really well in college, I was really worthy. When I wasn't, I was no longer worthy. And so it was this kind of ups and downs of tying my identity to my outcomes. And what I started to learn, like you were talking about earlier, is just this idea of consistency and showing up as the best version of you that day. And what I've learned is that I've now started to redefine what success looks like for me, but on a daily basis, not only an outcome basis. Outcomes are important. And so when people say, oh, the results don't matter, I call bullshit because it's 100% not true. If you said that to Brian Cashman of the Yankees, he would be like, excuse me? (laughs) Exactly. It's insanely important. But how we get there And the way that our brain works best to optimize performance so we can get that result is not by focusing on them solely, but by focusing on our actions that can actually get us there. And that's where consistency and it versus intensity comes to play. Because a lot of times when we set a goal, it's easy to drum up that motivation, right? And to get super excited about whatever goal you just set. But what we kind of forget is that we're going to face obstacles. Like when our goals, when the rubber hits the road, it's going to need some adjusting. And so when we hit those obstacles, a lot of times we still are in that all or nothing mindset. And we go, oh, well, if I don't complete this, well, then I might as well not do it. And so the problem with that is that if you miss one workout, that's okay. That's going to happen every once in a while. But when, and James Clear says this in his book, but when you miss two, now you start developing a habit in the opposite direction. What I've noticed really helps for myself and for a lot of my clients and in the research that it shows is that on those days when you don't feel like doing it or when maybe something comes up, maybe you're, you're a parent and something came up with your kids and suddenly that was your gym time and now you don't have it. Instead of eliminating it altogether, try shrinking it. Lowering intensity to remain consistent. So instead of maybe going to the gym for an hour like you're planning on it, maybe do three sets of 10 push-ups before you go to bed. Because what you're doing is you're maintaining the consistency of showing up. While the intensity may not be what you wanted it to be, we're still remaining consistent. And over time, we can level up the intensity. But don't be afraid to turn it down. I'd rather you turn it down to remain consistent 
than not show up at all. And so that's a lot of times what I will do if there are days where I'm just like, man, I just, I woke up and I got 40% to give. And I have all of these projects that are way more important than this thing that I wanted to do today. All right. Well, in order to remain consistent in my writing today, I'm going to make sure that I at least write one sentence today. Instead of writing a page like I was trying to, my goal is to write one sentence. Oftentimes, I actually finish the page, but it's because I showed up and only expected, only told myself, let's just knock over that first domino. And if you only knock over one domino, you're good. But oftentimes what you'll find is that when you knock over that first domino, many follow or even a couple follow more than you were expecting. But either way, when we do that, we can remain consistent instead of just focusing on going all in every day and either it's all in or all out because that's one of the ways and one of the reasons why oftentimes we fall off track is because we start developing a habit in the opposite direction. So if you're in that position, try lowering intensity to remain consistent. And what does that allow us to do? It lets us focus on the incremental to get to the monumental. And then like you were saying too, it reduces the expectancy, which gives us the capacity to build the ability to detach. So all these athletes that we know about that are in that flow state, they're in the zone. They have this incredible capacity to focus on this intently, but they also have 80% focus, 20% detachment. Because as you were saying before, of course, outcomes matter. They absolutely do. But if I have this outcome and I'm not putting in the work or I don't believe that we can get there, I'm going to create cognitive dissonance in my own mind. And then I will do all kinds of things to confirm that bias, whether I want to or not. And now I'm wasting time, energy, money, opportunities, and all those things compound so much as we elevate up the development of mastery or whatever ladder we're trying to ascend. Yeah, it's so true. So true. There's a lot of different things that you talk about as well. Could you give us the most common problems that you find some of your clients running into consistently? And I think that it's interesting because people may think that if I put Goggins on a pedestal, you know, he's not human, so he's untouchable. So he doesn't feel what I'm feeling right now. He doesn't feel the frustration, the anger, the pain, whatever it is. But these people are all too human. And what do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to what you do and how you help athletes? You know, I get this question asked a lot. And now a lot of times people will ask me, what do the top athletes you work with go through? And the answer is this very same thing you go through. The difference is they have a much bigger stage, but that's it. They still go through self-doubt. They still go through moments of inconsistency. They still go through struggling to deal with pressure, struggling to deal with stress and outside factors, whether that's maintaining relationships and also attacking their goals. They struggle with critics. They struggle with their inner critic. There's all of those things that we go through. They also go through. I think where the difference lies is their ability to respond. And if we look at it as like, I'm actually going to draw you a picture. (laughs) So I'll show you and I'll explain the picture for those of you that are not actually watching. But it's the difference is most of us look like this. Our ups and downs are high, high, and low, low. So for those of you listening, I drew a squiggly line and the highs are super high and the lows are super low. Yeah, but what's different for elite individuals, we don't necessarily eliminate highs and lows. We may have different types of highs and lows, like most major league athletes. They're not making the same mistakes that maybe a someday rookie ball is making. 
but they still have highs and lows. But the major difference is the distance between them, is that they still have a very similar squiggly line pattern. Just the highs and lows, the gap between is not as big. And why is that? Because they have the tools and they've developed the coping mechanisms to be able to bounce back from both adversity and success in a way where they're able to maintain a more steady line. I think we ask a lot of the wrong questions when we say, how do we eliminate failure? How do we eliminate distractions? Well, we can do our best to eliminate as much of that as we can. But the truth is, we can't eliminate all distraction. We can't eliminate all failure, adversities, obstacles that we face. And so what we have to do is develop a better response to them. Because we can choose how long we stay there. We may not be able to control what happens to us, but we always have the ability to control our response. And so that's a lot of times where I will work with my clients. They'll go, Lauren, how do I eliminate distraction? And I say, you're asking the wrong question. It's how do I respond when I notice I become distracted? If you can do that, that will serve you 10 times more than just simply trying to eliminate it altogether. It's how do we develop a relationship with it? And so if you get distracted, you're no longer distracted for 10, 20, 30 minutes at a time. You become distracted for 10 seconds and you're back in the game. And so that's the way I kind of look at it is that elite athletes or elite individuals in any domain, they still go through highs and lows. They may look a little different, but it's not about what happens to them. It's more about how they respond that's different. Yeah, it's not the adversity, it's the way that we respond to the adversity that's the problem oftentimes. And as you were saying too, for me, I'll have people that will say, I'm distracted, and then they'll allow that to become that negative loop, that negative emotional loop. But again, if you can become aware of it, that's the beginning. Just becoming aware of it allows you to now, like you said, responsible, able to respond as opposed to reactionary, as opposed to all those things. Because this is a hero's journey, whether it be a professional athlete or whether it be a single mom, there's going to be ups and downs, good and bad. and like you were saying also, the, the fluctuation in those places, that's why you may see some athletes that when they're interviewing them, they're like, hey, you've just won the biggest game of whatever it is. How do you feel? Good. I mean, because they're almost stoic in this idea, not that they're afraid to celebrate. And for some of them too, it was like, well, this was the expectation. Like we've done everything. Got my nutrition. I've got my sleep. I got my recovery. I've done my time. I've worked with my coach. This is what we were expecting. So in some ways, they're not even surprised. And so that allows them to maintain that middle ground, so to speak, and so that they don't, what is it called? The hedonic treadmill, where people will kind of come back to that same place of happiness, whether it be money, a new car, a marriage, whatever it is, and being able to find whatever that baseline is, and then slowly ratchet that up. That's what allows us to have sustainable, optimal performance in the heat of That's right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that if you reach a goal, it's important to set another one. And it doesn't mean that you don't enjoy it. It doesn't mean you don't have that moment. But again, where it becomes can become an issue is when we stay there and look at the view for way too long. And an example of this is actually Polaroid. So Polaroid quite literally invented instant photography. And then for the next 10 years, they pretended like digital photography wasn't a thing. And They got passed up by all these other brands and now they are a third of the company that they were and are a niche market. And so it just goes to show that it's about sustaining excellence and we can do that by 
not only setting these goals for ourselves, then also recognizing that mastery is a never-ending process. It's a process that's continuous. And what looks like your top life goal now might evolve and might change over time. And so I know that for myself, I have these goals. And when people say, oh, what is your why? I have several whys. And I told you one of them today. But it evolves too. It all evolves as I evolve. And so for me, I know that when I reach the top, I know that there's going to be another top that I'm going to go, okay, I reached this one, but now I want to go after that one. And that's just how I like to live. And I know not everybody's like that, but I think anybody that is really wanting to become an elite version of themselves, you won't find a professional athlete, CEO, surgeon, fighter pilot that will say any different. That's it. The peak performers that I've worked with, it's almost like they move the goalpost when it's obvious that they're going to, they're getting ready to come across the finish line. What's the next thing? And again, we have to allow them that space to really enjoy it and see what it is. Or what do we do? We have them talk about what it's going to feel like when they get there or what will it mean to them when they get there. So now they're priming. And then now it's not something that completes them completely by, catches them completely by surprise once they're there. It's like, wow, I never thought this would happen. It's like, well, that may be true, but we've done these things in the meantime to create that belief system, so to speak. And belief is one of those things that you hear all the time. Oh, you just have to believe. And the fact is that a lot of the things that stand in between who we are now and who we want to become, a lot of those things that stand in between is the belief that we have about ourselves and our ability to become that. And one way that we can support any belief is by deciding who you want to become and then deciding what actions would support that. And so if I want to become a runner, what actions would support that belief? Well, probably somebody that runs often. Okay, what's one way that I can start that this week? Well, I can run about two miles. Let's try and do two miles twice a week to begin. And as you start doing that, your brain starts to pay attention to this and it starts building evidence for you being that individual. And over time, that's how we can develop those new identities is by developing the actions that support who you want to become. And so if you're not where you want to be, I would ask yourself, what type of person do you want to become? And what actions can you actually put into place today, tomorrow, the day after that, that will support that new belief? Oh, that's fantastic. And sometimes even if that person's not able to take action directly on it, they can also look at the antithesis and say, what would an elite runner not do? Eat this ding dong right now? Probably not. They would probably not sleep until noon and stay up until four o'clock in the morning watching Netflix. And so, like you said, these are these small incremental things that create something monumental. And for those of you that are listening to us and saying, oh, this is a bunch of psychological mumbo jumbo, look up the placebo effect. Look up the nocebo effect. Look up what happens when you give a person a sugar pill and say, this is helping you with X. And all of a sudden, because that person believes it, it creates that. Or the capacity to have negative bias where they say, listen, we're going to give you this thing, but you're in the control group, so it's not going to help you. And you can literally give them the same pharmaceutical that would help them with whatever the issue is. And because they don't believe it, it's not going to even create a change in the markers in their blood or whatever the case may be for the metric. Well, and it even shows time and time again in science. And I don't know if you've heard of Kelly McGonigal, but incredible psychologist. I love her. I definitely recommend looking into her. And her book is called The Upside of Stress. What she talks about in this book is that for years, she taught people the downside effects of stress. And she said, what I learned, I came across a study and I learned in this study 
that what mattered more than the stress people were experiencing was the belief they had surrounding the stress they were experiencing. So she said, stress alone isn't harmful. Your belief around the stress you are experiencing is what's more harmful than the stress itself. And now I know that, trust me, there are times where I'm really stressed and I'm having a hard time seeing how this is helpful. So I'm not saying that every time you have stress, you should be like, this is great. But the important thing is that to know that not all stress is bad. And so for me, when I'm feeling fear, when I'm feeling like I'm being stretched, when I'm existing slightly outside my comfort zone, when self-doubt starts to creep in, those are my signals that tell me I'm in the growth zone. Because you cannot be comfortable and grow at the same time. So when I can remind myself of that, I have a total switch in my physiology, in my perspective, and I'm able to meet that moment differently than if I was constantly focusing on the fear itself. And what if this is happened? To me now, those are just data points. And those tell me, but I'm able to create space between my identity and those thoughts and those feelings. So I don't identify with them. I just see them as data points. Like just because your mind creates a thought doesn't make it true. And so for me, it makes a thought and I go, if I can make that thought, I have the power to make one completely opposite of that. And so it doesn't mean that that's not true, that I'm not fearful. But for me, it's more so, what is that fear telling me? My fear, that fear is telling me that I am outside my comfort zone right now. And that's where I want to be if I want to continue to grow and expand my degree of competence. And so for me, this kind of different shift and this idea that our belief systems can be so powerful in so many other areas, and just to confirm what you said, is that it impacts what you believe impacts how you experience the world. People say seeing is believing, but if we have a negative bias, it's actually believing is seeing. And we will turn that around. And like you said, that cognitive reframe where you can say, because adversity is neutral, it has no dog in the fight. It's what meaning we give to it. Oh, I'm a victim. Oh, I'm powerless. And now what happens now? We're moving down that slippery slope. And it's, again, what we're talking about is simple, but it's not easy. Correct. And that's so important. The other day I wrote something on Twitter and I said, half the battle is sticking with it long enough to see a result. And somebody wrote, easy, right? (laughs) I was like, no, simple, not easy. It's not easy to stick through it when you don't want to do something. It's not easy to get up at 5am when you said you would. It's not easy to do the things that you said you would when you no longer feel like freaking doing it. But we do it because what we want is on the other side of it. And so it's simple, but it's sure as hell not easy. I wouldn't have a job if it was easy. (laughs) My job is helping them work through these things so that they can still continue to become the best versions of themselves. Well, and it has to be simple. Like you said, in the heat of battle, like we said at the very beginning, we don't have time to draw graphs and show them the science and the data. It's like, no, this is what I want you to focus on. If you're the fighter, I want you to shoot the double leg, take this person down, get inside control and just be aggressive. They can remember that because they're tired, they're scared, they don't know if they're winning or losing, or you've got the person that's getting ready to go to bat and say, I want you to have a smooth follow through. I mean, whatever the case may be, those cues are what they can hold on to in that. And again, simplicity is so key because it allows us to know exactly where to go. And I've noticed people, they want to get caught up in the sexiness and the semantics because that in their mind is a way to procrastinate from actually doing the work. But doing what you do and the way that we do it. And I find it myself even 
if I can catch myself on it, say, okay, you're bullshitting yourself here. Let's pivot. Let's get back to what's important because everything that we do, whether it be a coach or an athlete, we're either get what this movement either moves us forward or backwards. There's no lateral motion. It's either making us improve or go back. And like you said, what is the person that I want to be? What would they be doing here? How would they react? What would Goggins do? Whatever the mantra may be for you. But if you can use that as a litmus test, as something that will keep you honest, that's your compass and that keeps you from going off course as much. Hopefully we can course correct faster if nothing else. Oh my gosh, it's so true. I love what you're talking about. And it was so funny because right before you said that, I was thinking of UFC fighter Rose Namajunas, who just won for the second time the Women's Strawweight Championship. and. If you watch that fight, when she's in the ring, just before it starts, you see her talking to herself. And if you really zoom in and you listen, she's repeating a mantra. And that mantra is, I am the best. I am the best. I am the best. And she ends up winning. And at the very end, when when Joe Rogan's interviewing her, she said, I am the best. And what the point of a mantra is that it acts as like these invisible blinders directing your attention to what you want to be focusing on. Because in that moment, if you think for a second that leading up to that fight, she didn't have moments of doubt. She didn't have moments of worry or fear. You're wrong. Of course she did. But she knows how to direct her mind to what is actually important. She knows how to direct her mind to the things she wants to be focusing on and the thing that she truly believes. And it's the fact that she can win this fight and that she is the best. And so sometimes when I'm speaking in front of, again, it doesn't matter what domain, but whenever I go to speak, I have this kind of checklist. It's all these things that my body tells me that I'm ready. My palms start to sweat. My heart rate goes up a little bit. I have a little bit of self-doubt, like oof, a little bit of worry. And then I direct my attention using the mantra. I say, I'm the best mental coach in the world. So when Rose did that, I absolutely loved it because I know a lot of athletes and performers that use this, but it's one way that when we're in those moments, it's normal for our brain to tune in and try to protect us. And it does that by pointing out all the things that, all the negatives, because that's its job. Sometimes it jumps in when we don't need protecting. And that happens. We just need to refocus our mind on something that we do want to focus on, something that is going to help us, something that is going to be productive. And so if you're out there and you're feeling this way or you're about to get ready for a performance, I really highly recommend creating a mantra and keep it short, keep it simple, keep it impactful. It has to mean something to you. Make it repeatable. And when you do those things, you can create a nice phrase that kind of acts as those invisible blinders when you need it most. I love it. Lauren, I think we just scratched the surface, but I want to be respectful of your time. Um, love everything you're about. Where can our listeners learn more about you? Where can we support you? Where can we learn more about what you do? The easiest place is probably to go to my website, which is laurenjohnsonandco.com. Spelled all the way you would think. <laughs> laurenjohnsonandco.com. All of my social media is on there. All my handles are different because I have a very common name. So it's easiest to go there to find my Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of those things. I'd love to connect with you for anybody that's listening. But you can go there. And then also, while you're at it, my newsletter, it's 100% free. But every week, you get a midweek mindset video sent directly to your inbox. 
along with an action plan. So definitely make sure you sign up for that. Thank you guys for joining Lauren, thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor learning from you. And thank you for having me. This is great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.